I think that the industrial era was the time when we became so flush with choices that were prepackaged, pre-chosen, pre-processed for us that made things wonderfully convenient in a certain way, but really for our bodies and our health, wonderfully inconvenient because we lost touch with who we actually are. And so what's going on now is a rediscovery using the modern science. So this is what's different now between a thousand years ago. A thousand years ago, we couldn't explain immunity. We couldn't explain our circulation and our blood vessel health. We couldn't explain our microbiome. Those were concepts we may have kind of intuitively known about. Now we can get down to the nitty gritty. We actually know enough about it so we can actually explain the good choices we're making. And to the extent we're having kind of a backlash against industrialization and going back to basics, I think that brings us back to who we are as humans. That's Dr. William Lee, and this is episode 348 of Wellness Force Radio. Wellness Force Radio, where we discover the physical and emotional intelligence to live life well. You can have the same brain states as someone who's done an hour of meditation every day for 40 years. There's a lot of losses that we go through, so the ability to be able to cope with those losses is very important to build skill in it, because loss will happen. You know, you have to have spiritual courage to really grow spiritually, because if you really want to take guidance from your soul, you have to be ready to realize that many of the things that you're asking for guidance on, your ego has some kind of an addiction to or an investment in. What's up, my friends? What is good today? Let me know. Take a deep breath with me first. That's your breath break. This is the first time maybe on the entire week or day that you've reminded yourself to take a deep breath. And in this podcast, we're talking about the power of nature, food, and breath, and air, and how to heal yourself. You know, the core fundamentals of human existence. Well, breathing, eating, moving, and sleeping, they're at that core. The fundamentals of physical intelligence. But if we're not breathing, we can find ourselves literally hijacked by the amygdala. It happened this week with me and Keith Norris on Facebook Live, where I got hijacked by my amygdala, and so did he, and we all took a deep breath, and then we could move forward. So let's do it again. This is your breath break. Before we get into our special guest today, a world-renowned physician, scientist, and the author of Eat to Beat Disease, How Your Body Can Heal Itself, Let's take a breath together. Inhale for two seconds, deep through your nose. Exhale nice and easy for four seconds. That breath is there whenever you need it. And right now, the world gets to breathe. We're in the most challenging time I've ever felt I could ever imagine in my entire existence. So rather than bypass it or ignore it, let's just lean into it. And we have our breath as a tool. If you've been curious about the power of breath work and cannabidiol to calm your nervous system, if you've been personally dealing with accelerated anxiety or restlessness, I promise you the 21-day Breathe Breath and Wellness program will radically change your life. And I don't say this lightly. I traveled the globe for three years, Costa Rica, Thailand, Sedona, all across the United States. I built this program personally, and I want to give it to you for 25% off. It's breathwork.io. That's the website, and you're here with us on the show, so I'm going to give you 25% off. It's a huge savings, 25% off your 21-day breath and wellness program, combining this radical power of ancient healing tools in pranayama breathing and also cannabidiol, which calms and soothes your nervous system with the vagal nerve activation. Just go to breathwork.io, use the code PODCAST25. 
That's podcast 25 over at breathwork.io. Learn how to use your breath to change the way you melt stress for the rest of your life. Now that you've taken a deep breath, let's get into this conversation with Dr. William Lee. He's been on the biggest outlets in media. He's got a TEDx talk with millions of views. This was utterly fascinating to me, which inspired me to bring him on the show and talk about what we can all learn from this concept he calls angiogenesis, anti-angiogenic foods. This episode is going to deliver all you need to know about the five health defense systems against all diseases, including angiogenesis, stem cell regeneration, microbiome, DNA repair, and our immune system and immunity that we can boost with food and not with drugs. That's the key takeaway, not with drugs. We'll talk about boosting our immune system from COVID, from any virus, by the way. I don't even want to single out COVID anymore because COVID's a virus, just like everything else. And COVID is being used by the media for people to be in fear, wear a mask, sit down, be quiet, and do what you're told. We know this isn't the truth. We take our health into our own hands. We do not listen to the mainstream media fear propaganda. This is why it's so powerful to listen closely and to breathe intuitively with what Dr. Lee says today about anti-angiogenic foods for greater health. We'll explore how to feed our inner ecosystem and how to eat foods you already love, just more of them that are healthy and that boost your immunity. And by the end of this podcast, you'll have a firm understanding of what to do next so you can boost your immune system using nature's greatest gift, and that is food. Now, do me a favor, share this podcast. If it resonates, if you're enjoying it, if you're getting something from this, Share this podcast with a friend, somebody you care about. You can also leave us a review, which is radically huge. Actually, if you leave us a review, I'm going to be your best friend. (laughs) Well, I'm already your best friend because you're here with us. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash review. Leave us a five-star review. Email me that you did. I'll send you a super special gift. So here we are, this new revolution point, this new birthing of whatever humanity, humankind is going to look like from this moment forward. It's pretty exciting But I'm also not going to take away from the challenges that everyone's experiencing right now because they're real. People are dying. People are in fear. But on the other side of chaos, there's danger and there's also opportunity. We can use our deep breath and the plant medicine over at breathwork.io. We can learn from scientists and medical doctors who have their heart in the most powerful place like Dr. William Lee. I know the future is bright. I know it is. I can feel it. Let's drop in and learn about this fascinating world of eating to beat disease. I'm here with Dr. Will Lee, and we're talking about beating disease by eating the best foods possible, these superfoods. So many of us have heard the term superfood, you know, eat the great, the great, right foods. But what does that actually mean? Like, how do we make sense of this? What are our defense systems in our body that'll actually move the needle for us? Uh, not just smoke and mirrors. We're talking about angiogenesis today, which is fascinating. We're ne- we've never explored it on Wellness Force. Uh, Will Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a real pre- pleasure, Josh. Um, you know, when most people think about the concept of food as medicine, uh, they're thinking about kind of a, a big picture that um, may not be clear because, frankly, what's in a refrigerator is not medicine. Yeah. And it's not really a new concept either, even though it's kind of trendy. It's really a really old concept. And if you go to any ancient culture, you know, the Greeks – you know, in the Mediterranean, if you go to people in South America, if you go to Asia, you know, for centuries, people have actually, you know, the average person, you know, whether you're a farmer or you're a worker or whether you're, you know, in the courts, you know, um, they they all kind of realize that we all make decisions with what we put in our mouth that actually can help us 
heal and feel better. And so I think we lost kind of, we kind of lost touch of that in our modern industrialized world where pretty much it's a land of plenty. Everything comes in a box. You can actually defrost it and thaw it and nuke it and all that kind of stuff. But um, food as medicine is actually, in my, in my mind, a concept of, of helping to support our own health. And it's not something that we do to us. It's something that we help our own bodies actually do. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a medical doctor. I'm an internal medicine doc. I'm a scientist. I'm a what we call a vascular biologist. So I study blood vessels. And, um, and I also wrote a book, Eat to Beat Disease, which really tries to put together everything that I know about um, uh, food and health into ways that everybody can use. But I want to give you a little background about how I came to what I'm doing. And that really is that as a medical doctor, I realized that almost all of my patients – um, had terrible diseases as I got older, and I was at the Veterans Administration. So these were like some of my favorite patients. These guys that served the country, they're you know from armed forces, and in their 60s and 70s and older, they were really out of shape, and they had bad diabetes and heart disease and cancer and lung diseases. And I would you know give them their diagnoses and write a prescription and tell them where they should go. And then uh, in terms of seeing the next specialist, and then they'd all pop back in after putting on their coat and walking out the door. And they'd say, hey, doc, one more thing. Can I ask you what I should do for myself? What should I eat? Mm -hmm. And I realized that I was never taught that in med school. And that's actually something that you see a lot in doctors, like the really absence of education on nutrition. And yet that is the one thing that we should be telling every person that we're seeing, whether they're healthy or they're sick. How long was that training in school? Was it a week or a month or what was it? Do you remember? You know, I I, I probably had uh, about a week's worth, maybe a little bit more of one training in, in total. Okay. Wow. And then you got to realize that yeah. when doctors go to school, they're surrounded by junk food, junky stuff, you know, not, you know, there's a lot of you know, um, some of these hospitals night. have McDonald's in the hospital. That's right. And so, you know, you have to walk, you have to be able to walk the walk in order to be able to talk the yes, talk, right? Yes. So not surprisingly, most of the people that we trust for every other aspect of our health care, right? The doctors, they are, the medical doctors are really poorly um, trained to be able to provide that kind of health care that relies on food. And so I realized that. I felt that was wrong. And so that set me on the journey that actually brought me to where I am today. The other thing is that, you know, I'm a research scientist. And as a research scientist, um, uh, I'm trained to dive deeply into a particular problem to try to figure out what is at the root what is the heart what is the truth of this of this issue and you know whether you're talking about diabetes or obesity or heart disease or cancer you know um the nice thing about science is that truth doesn't lie um we we can discover new truths as we dive a little bit deeper but we really find out what's going on and that's the difference between ignorance which is like we well we don't know um and maybe we don't care to we now know and so we can care we can do something about it and so for me i spent you know 25 years helping to develop biotechnology treatments cutting-edge treatments for cancer. And in fact, I've been involved with 34 FDA-approved drugs and devices. So I know what I'm talking about when it's sort of like trying to figure out how to do research to help give people tools. Yeah. Um, And I realized that when I was thinking about food and health, the thing that I wasn't 
taught in med school, but I really needed to know, and I think other people need to know, doctors need to know, um, I realized I could take the tools of biotechnology, what I use for drug development, and apply that to studying food. So all of a sudden, there's this new bridge between food and medicine for food as medicine by really using the tools that we used to develop medicines to study food. And all of a sudden, it, there's a new solid truth-bearing scientific approach to thinking about what we can do for ourselves that is every bit as valid when it comes to food as it comes to medicines. And that's really what I wrote my book, Eat to Beat Disease, about because I, I wanted to uh, tell people, you know, when it comes to drugs, it could take a decade before yeah. you can actually get something that you could prescribe and get at a drugstore. But when it comes to food, it's immediate. Pretty much, you open your fridge, you're making the decision what you're going to do. You go to the market, you know, even today, and you get to choose instantly what it is that you want to pick up and what you want to do with that food. And so that kind of immediacy, I, I felt, you know, really deserved um, the ability to come out and get it, get it to the people. <clears throat> and that's partly what I'm doing on, on your show. Yeah, that's fascinating to me. I, so it's utterly it kind of puts a big question mark in my consciousness, a really big question mark as to why are people like yourself so popular in a world where we're, you're really just telling people the ancient ways of being that you've learned. It's almost like we have to convince science that some of these ancient ways of eating, the foods that have been eaten for thousands of years that are so healthy and so immune boosting. Um, what is it about the public consciousness? In other words, where did we go wrong in our understanding of nutrition and of eating to beat disease? Where's the disconnect between food and medicine? When did that start? You know, I think all of us, um, when we are born, are load preloaded like you know, are in, in we're already pre-hardwired with health defense systems, and inside our bodies we know what we want. We know what we need to be able to help boost our body's own defenses. Because when it comes to food and health, it's not just about the food; it's about how our body responds to what we put into it. And so you know, we've all had you know the craving for you know a piece of fruit or a craving for some kind of food, and that's usually our body telling our brain that, you know, we need to go after something that, that is needed inside us. I crave mustard a lot. Is, is <laughs> well, there a, a turmeric or something there that I want? Or? Well, you know, there, there may be turmeric. Uh, there may be some vinegar. Okay. Uh, okay. There may be some other uh, core things, uh, peppers uh, uh, and some bioactives that you're wanting. And what's really interesting is that um, most of the healthy things in plants um, are natural chemicals. We call them bioactives. And they help the plant protect themselves. They're part of the defense system of the plant. They either are a natural insecticide to prevent bugs from eating the plants and their leaves and eating their fruits, or they may actually be protecting the plant from uh, a reproductive perspective so they can attract bees and butterflies and they can help to pollinate so they can keep their generations going, right? So these are all protective mechanisms. And when, when humans – you know, sort of um, got up from dragging our knuckles and we started to pick up the plants and eat them, all of a sudden those same plant defense natural chemicals had another job description because they, they encountered our bodies, um, uh, health defense systems, and activated our body as well. So I'm trying to tell you that I, I think that we've always known yeah. intuitively that eating whole um, plant-based foods is good for our body, and what we're, where we went, uh, where we kind of lost touch with that, I think, is 
when we went from um, our cultural roots, because you know, like in America, everybody's from someplace, sure, and we all are connected to some things. And, yeah. and the great thing is that we can enjoy lots of different cultures now. But if you look at the ancient cultures, you know, there were no extreme diets. You know, like for all these old sure. ancient cultures, their foods tended to be pretty pretty good for them, right? And I think what we what happened that we lost touch with things is when food become became industrialized. So let's look at post-World War II. You know, um, we're building up the economy. We've got all these new tools and technologies now. We've got people to do things. And part of the things we can invent are, you know, doing mass production of food. And from a time where we didn't have maybe enough food because people were hungry during wartime to having abundance in peacetime yes. and prosperity, we can start to package and box and freeze. You know, uh, I don't know if any of your um, viewers or listeners remember this, but, you know, there used to be television TV dinners. Oh, sure. TV, TV dinners. You'd, you'd put them in the microwave. I remember I was an 80s child. Yeah. You, you stuck them in and you popped them out and what did you do? You became the couch potato Ugh. in front of the TV. The worst. The boob tube. Yeah. And you ate, you know, whatever stuff was in a foil tray, right? And then you just crumpled it up and tossed it. Yeah. And so um, I think that, you know, the industrial era was the time when we um, became so flush with choices that were prepackaged, pre-chosen, pre-processed. For us, that made things, you know, wonderfully convenient in a certain way, but really for our bodies and our health, wonderfully inconvenient because we lost touch with who we actually are. And so, what's going on now is a rediscovery um, using the modern science. So, this is what's different now. Before, between a thousand years ago, a thousand years ago, we couldn't explain immunity, we couldn't explain our circulation and our blood vessel health, we couldn't explain our microbiome. Those were concepts we may have kind of intuitively known about. Now we can get down to the nitty-gritty. We actually know enough about it so we can actually explain the choices, the good choices we're making. And to the extent we're having kind of a backlash against industrialization and going back to basics, yes, I think that brings us back to who we are as humans. Wow. I, there is such an incredible amount to unpack there. Uh, you strike me as a, a spiritual man, but also a scientist with so much academia behind you. Like this is a breath of fresh air. <laughs> you know, like this is what the world needs. We don't need people that are all neck up. We need people like you that are head to heart connected. What is the emotional component? What's the moral compass on why you're doing this? Why you wrote Eat to Beat Disease? Like what's the morality behind this for you? Well, you know, I, I think I, I, I came from – I went into medicine because I really wanted to help people. And there's nothing better for me than to be able to, you know, um, see a patient, um, connect to them, listen to what it is that they care about, and then to see if there is some answer that I can help provide them that can enable them to help themselves, number one. But then beyond that, if there's something that I can help them with using – my knowledge and my access to medical technology, I, I, that, that's very satisfying. When I realized that helping one person at a time was satisfying but still frustrating because there's so many people to help, that's when I started to get involved with research because the fruits of research can help millions of people. Yeah. Right, And then um, logically, in my early days, I, I went to um, drug development because you know when you're a medical student, or even in college, I was a biotechnology, I was a bio, uh, biochemistry major. You know, we're we're sort of um, raised on a diet of the idea that 
you know, if we only had more research and we could only develop the cure for this or that, the other yeah. thing, right? That's yeah. the that's the big carrot that's dangled. And so the, pre, I, the I predetermined path, actually, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it seems like it's just like the package TV dinners too, where it's like, this is what medical students do. You don't question what medical students do. Did you feel that way back then? You, you know, you, you, you get on the treadmill and you, and you just walk. It's like a people mover in an airport, you know, yeah. and you just kind of keep going until you get to your terminal and then you get to decide what gate you're going to go to. Well, I can tell you for me, I started realizing that, um, even as I became very successful in developing treatments, I mean, you know, there are treatments that I helped to develop that can cut off the blood supply feeding cancer. Yeah. I gave a TED talk on this and it, you know, became really popular. Um, and there are dozens of drugs that are treat- treatments that are like this now. They're all game changers. But, you know, honestly, they're very expensive. And I started to realize, why don't we prevent cancer in the first place? And so one of the things that I think, you know, one of my important compass points was really this idea that, yes, we should treat disease. That's important. But even more important is to prevent disease in the first place. And when you're talking about prevention, you really can't be talking about medicines or drugs. You got to talk about other tools that we have at hand. And that's really what brought me back to food. And food as medicine is really the perfect way to actually set up um, the idea for everybody that we can actually prevent disease. One of the things I loved in your TED talk, by the way, I think the last time I checked had 12 million views. Um, what is that like for you? How have you managed your emotional state? You seem very grounded. We're going to talk about the science in your video and everything else in your book, but just on an emotional intelligence level, as you've received more um, attention, how have you mm-hmm. dealt with all this novelty and adoration coming in? How do you stay grounded with all of this? Well, you know what? I, I'm somebody that really I, – I love the pursuit of knowledge. Yeah. So the thing that I'm really focused on is learning new things, and I'm really um, always interested in – I'm never happy just to know what I do know. I want to move. I want to kind of keep moving forward. So I think for me, um, I've always um, felt that, you know, rather than uh, get bored of what I'm doing, uh, I, I just keep swimming. You know, I just keep moving. And so if yeah. I focus, that's my that's my goal. And so I, I I appreciate the fact that you know people have come to view my work and, and it's been really useful and, you know, it's so gratifying to hear lives that have been changed by what I've written about or what I've spoken about. Um, I, I really do think that that's, um, that makes it all worthwhile. But to be honest with you, um, even like what we're dealing with now with COVID-19, sure. you know, um, uh, once I made sure I understood how to be safe, the first thing I did is I assembled my own research team and I went after this thing to be able to try to understand it because until we understand it, there's not much we can do about it. And and now that I'm, you know, almost a month into doing the research, I started to realize, oh, okay. So here's we don't need to flail completely yeah. in the hospital. We can start making movements towards this. And one of the things that we clearly need to do is to boost our immunity. And so I started to get into, well, what is it that we can actually do? You know, besides we don't have the time to actually invent things, right? right. I mean, there right. are people that are doing vaccines, but what are the people who are at home, you know? Uh, going to do for themselves. Like that's the immediacy yes. that we can actually deliver. And and so I started to look at immune boosting foods uh, as an example and mapping out all the things that, that the research is telling us of where we can actually do something for ourselves. And, you know, the, uh, perhaps not surprisingly, 
the um, the the media is sort of like um, focusing on the drugs of that are yet to be developed or yeah. in development. I think what we need to do is focus on the decisions that we can make right away, every day, today, and tomorrow. And we don't have to wait for you know the cavalry to arrive yeah. in form of a syringe. The cavalry is inside of ourselves. And this exactly. is what you talk about in your book. Um, by the way, these five pieces that we're going to explore, obviously, we're not going to be able to do the deep dive. Um, I have the book right here next to me. We're going to give away two copies of Eat to Beat Disease. So if you're hearing this, go to Instagram, right on the post with Will Lee. We'll choose two pieces. People and you get the book delivered to your house. It's pretty cool. So thank you for writing this book, by the way. One of the pieces I loved about the book was these five systems. Um, angiogenesis, this really beautiful branch of science where blood can actually infuse health and, and grow cells to protect us. Regeneration, the microbiome, DNA protection, and immunity, which you've already spoken about. But one of the best things that I want everyone to know is that each of these systems are equally dependent and equally viable with one another. Can you talk about how you found these five systems? Because you could have gone down the rabbit hole, Will. You could have said it's 10 systems, it's 20 systems. What, what was it about these specific five that are so valuable and interconnected? Well, you know, I'm somebody who's really interested in the common denominators of things. Uh, and I remember thinking about you know, much younger watching cancer researchers go at it. You know, it was really quite remarkable the amount of the intensity that cancer research done. But I, I realized that, you know, after all these years, we really haven't licked cancer despite all the money and all the brain power that was thrown at it. Yeah. And I realized that, you know, maybe it was an approach. Maybe what we needed to do is, you know, I mean, there's breast cancer and brain cancer and kidney cancer and prostate cancer. Maybe we shouldn't be looking at what makes diseases different from one another, but maybe we should take a look at what makes diseases common. And then I brought it beyond cancer and I'm like, well, what, what, what is the common denominator between cancer, heart disease, stroke? blindness, arthritis, diabetes, obesity, Alzheimer's, you know, you come up with a gigantic list of what ails us as a society. Yeah. And what's amazing is by looking at the common denominator, my view is that you could pull the bow back of an arrow and send a single arrow through all of these diseases. And so that wound up actually being these five health defense systems, starting with what I discovered was angiogenesis, which is how the blood vessel, uh, how the body grows blood vessels. How long and did so that take year, to figure that out? Well, I've, well, I've been, I, I, I trained, I was really um, uh, amazingly fortunate. I, I studied under um, a, a, a researcher named Judah Folkman in the mid 1980s in, in Boston. And he was the pioneer of the field of angiogenesis. And, and he was more like da Vinci, you know, um, uh, teaching students how to paint. You know, it was really amazing to be in his, you know, in his, in his studio, his laboratory. And so we worked at it for, you know, well over 10 years and um, started to get deeper and deeper into this. But I, I took it a little bit further and said, you know, this common denominator approach um, for diseases could be borrowed. We could tear a page, a, a page from that playbook and not just look at common denominators for disease, but we can look at common denominators of health. Now, we have something we can do beyond saying health is the absence of disease, because that's what most people do, right? Sure. So if somebody asks you, hey, you know, how, what's health? And you say, well, how do you know you're healthy? Well, I'm I have not a six sick, pack. I have a six pack, Yeah, <laughs> right? Exactly. Some illusionary model. Well, so now I'm telling you that 
that, well, that's kind of on the outside, right? So we're now figuring out what health is on the inside. Yeah. And 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 we earn our health because our health defenses actually are firing in all cylinders. Or we're born with them, and they're firing in all cylinders from the time we're born until our very last breath. They're doing all they can. You know. So some people say, well, why do I? Why did someone someone get cancer? And I think a more interesting question is, why don't we all not get cancer so more frequently? Yeah. And that's that's due to our body's defenses. And the amazing thing is that the five defenses that I wrote about are the you know um, the angiogenesis, stem cell regeneration, microbiome, DNA repair, and our immune immunity. These five defenses are all being focused on by the pharmaceutical industry to develop drugs to go after the disease. So if you move that aside, but to say there's a lot of science behind that, mm-hmm. you look at the other side, you can use those same five defenses to boost them up with food. So it really is just the other side. Look, you go to a grocery store. What do you see now, right? You got the food on one side. You got the drugstore on the other side. This is the same thing like in the five health defense systems. Right. There's like the pharma side, the drugstore side. Let's go into the produce and the and the food side of things. We can actually really figure out it's the same defenses that get boosted. So, you know, they're they're quite amazing because they're interrelated. And what I tell people to think about is um, our health defenses are like a coral reef. Like think about the Great Barrier Reef, right? It's not just one kind of coral. It's coral. It's fish. You know, and you've got the it's big fish. It's an ecosystem. It's an ecosystem, and everything works together. And that's really what our body is. It's a gigantic ecosystem of health. Wow. This is, I love this because I think about the way that nature always wins. You know, we're, one day we'll leave the planet. Until then, what are we doing here that actually complements and interrelates and gives back to nature? I can't think of a better way to do that by food. Food is the way that we can honor nature. There's, we've had a guest on the show named Paul Check, and he talked about eating seasonally, eating the foods that actually grow in the right seasons. How does someone even know if their food that they're eating is causing them uh, a lowering of these five defenses? Is there a starting point with um, the food that people can eat that you talk about in your book? What is that first step when even looking at the myriad of nutritional choices? Right. So to make it really, really simple, um, you know, all you got to do is go to a farmer's market because they're seasonal. They bring, always bring out, they cart out and they load up into baskets, the stuff that it happens to be fresh at that time. Yeah. And, and farmer's markets are everywhere. You know, I mean, I think that they've come back in a great way. Um, and even if you live in a city, you don't, you don't have to go too far to find out where the farmers have come in to actually bring their stuff. Yeah. That's one way, great way to figure out what nature is providing at that moment or that week for our body. So if you think about us as all interconnected, that's really one way to figure out what is the bounty that has come in. I think, I'm thinking another way. If you, if you, live, if you live by the shore, you know, by the fishing docks, you know, what used to happen is that people used to gather up by the dock to see what the boats were bringing in to sure. see what the fishermen caught. Same thing for the farmer's market. I, I generally think whole plant-based foods that you grow from good soil using ways that protect the earth um, and you bring it to market um, and you buy it, like that's going to be a really great way to start. Now, it's true. Not everybody can get fresh food all the time. And that's really one of the big inequalities i think that we need to address as yeah. a society yeah 
We need to get better food. I mean, I, honestly, I don't really care if a drone flies it to your doorstep, but if you're sure. in the middle of, you know, if you're in a place that doesn't actually have fresh food, we need as a society to figure out how to get that to you. That's such so, a great point because it's all out there. It's not like the food's missing. Like, how do you feed no. the world? You just transport the food to them, to the people that need it. There's farm box, there's butcher box, there's all these companies out there. There are ways to deliver this fresh food to people wherever they live. And the irony is that there's a lot of fresh food that sits in the field rotting, yeah, not getting to the people that it needs to go to. So I think that that's one of the things that we need to be able to um, we need to be able to uh, find a way to improve our communities, right? So, yeah. um, and you think also think about the in the in the old days, right? Like uh, in a simpler time, if you had a lot of abundance of food, what did you do? You gave it to your neighbor, sure. Right, so you shared you shared your food. That's something that I think we're going to come back to thinking about: is how do we share our bounty? But you asked about the basic rules of thumb: um, whole foods, mostly plant-based, fruits and vegetables as fresh as possible, nuts and legumes, um, herbs and spices. This is really the bounty of health. Yeah. And Mother Nature gives it to us every season. Every month is a little bit different. And frankly, you know, when you ask, even what about the winter time? You got root vegetables. You got the veg, you get the um, plant based foods that can actually store pretty well. Carrots, potatoes, apples—they all carry over. And because we are, in general, fortunate to be able to get foods from different places, you know, you can always find something fresh in a supermarket. And that's one of the things that I tell people they should be doing, um, uh, especially now because we have to be more careful when we go to the supermarket. Um, plan. When you're there, don't loiter. Make a beeline for where the good stuff is, and it's going to be in the produce section. Yeah, it's on the edges of the store, not in the chip aisle. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not there. <laughs> or the soda aisle. Yeah. Right? right. So, so now I will say – I will give you an exception to the middle aisle though. You know, you got healthy fats there. You yeah. got um, bean dried beans. Um, you know, um, there are there are different things that are good in the middle aisle. I, I think it's um, what I like to do is to say, you know, let's um, uh, shopping the shopping where things are fresh is always going to be good, but don't overlook some of the good things that are in the middle of the food uh, store as well. Sure. Um, but but you want to think you want to plan about it ahead of time. There's dark chocolate there too, and sparkling water, which is I love both those things. Um, one thing you mentioned earlier was angiogenesis, um, mm. and it's in your TED talk, which we've obviously linked in our show notes here, so another million people can watch it at some point this year, I'm sure. But um, can you ex expand that a little bit more and talk about the angiogenic foods because those are the things that are actually going to yield more health, right? Right. So you're doing all the things. You're eating well. You're minimizing eating anything but organic. You're breathing, you're moving, you're sleeping, you're doing all the good things. But here's the question. Are you actually getting the quality nutrition that your body deserves and that it needs? It's what provides us with energy every day. And when we don't give our body the nutrients that it needs, we feel it. I know I do. Lacking motivation, the monkey mind comes up, I get stuck in ruts, drag ourselves to work back and forth. You get it. You don't need to hire a nutritionist though. You don't need to live at the gym either. Actually, all you need is about two minutes a day. And um, our sponsor Organifi can help you with the rest. Morning, noon, and night. These Organifi superfoods have your micronutrients covered. The green juice has 11 detoxing superfoods. Moringa, chlorella, ashwagandha, wheatgrass, coconut 
water a ton more to bring your energies up and your cortisol down. Then in the afternoon is the red. The red juice is my favorite. It's what I do before a workout. It's got the adaptogenic herbs and mushrooms so you can get that extra boost of nitric oxide. And then at night I go with the gold. The gold makes me sleep really good. It's got lemon balm, which is calming and soothing. Go to Organifi.com forward slash wellness force. You can get this sunrise to sunset pack. They have the green, the red, the gold for a huge discount. You get 20% off. Wellness force is the code Organifi.com forward slash wellness force. Try the green, the red, the gold in one day. I promise you, you'll feel better because that's how it makes me feel. Organifi.com forward slash wellness force. Make sure you use the code wellness force to get 20% off and share it as a gift to a friend. So angiogenesis is a uh, fancy term uh, that basically describes uh, how our body grows blood vessels. And uh, we all know we've got blood vessels because if you cut yourself, you'll bleed. That's coming out of your blood vessels. What most people don't know is that underneath our skin, we've got 60,000 miles worth of blood vessels that are packed inside us, right? So that's an enormous amount of blood vessels. And in fact, if you were to pull them all out and line them up end to end, you'd actually form a a string that would wrap around the earth twice from a single person. So as you can imagine, this delivery system of blood and oxygen and nutrients to every cell in our body is going to be really, really important. You don't have enough of it, you wind up having things like heart attacks and strokes and and wounds that don't heal. Mm. If you have got too many of them, you can bleed. If If you bleed in your eye, you'll go blind. Or sometimes diseases will hijack our blood vessels. I mean, they're, they're like think about cancer cells like a terrorist. They will literally take over the um, the, the the blood vessels in the in the organ in which they're growing, and they will feed themselves so they can selfishly. Um, become nourished, and then blood vessels hitting cancers will grow. The cancer will grow like 16,000 times in two weeks. So it's an explosive way for diseases to grow. So why is that actually such an important defense system is because it's always making sure your body, every cell has nutrition, and the body also knows that it should be pruning away, removing any blood vessels that might be caught, might be um, helping to provoke a disease, like a lawnmower. You know, so the blood, the lawn's always growing. Some weeds will pop up, and then the body's defenses will mow down that extra weed, so you get just the right amount. Not too much, not too little. Goldilocks knew yeah. all about angiogenesis, right? Yeah. Okay. So, one of the interesting things that I discovered early on was that uh, there are certain foods eaten by people who have low cancer rates like in the um uh like in the japanese island of okinawa uh that actually eat mostly uh plants and these are farmers uh that often just eat um soybeans or soy foods and in their urine you can discover um, there's a plant-based substance that you can only get from the plant. Doesn't come. The humans don't make it, and this substance actually cuts off the blood supply, feeding cancers. Now, you we suddenly began to put a put a picture together of a plant uh, plant-based food that you can eat that actually you can find throughout your body that prevents cancers from growing by cutting off their blood supply, helping to mow that lawn, so you only have good, healthy blood vessels. That was the beginning in my career of discovering anti-angiogenic foods or foods that prevent too many blood vessels helps keep the right number around. And what's amazing is there's so many foods that are out there. In fact, I, you know, there's well over a hundred anti-angiogenic foods. And these are listed um, in the book. So don't worry, you don't have to like take notes and search on Google. 
Yeah, it's amazing, right? So you got soy, you've got um, tea, green tea, you've got um, fruits and vegetables and kale and carrots. We actually even looked at carrots, for example, um, contain uh, uh, a, a powerful natural substance, um, uh, carotenoids that actually inhibit angiogenesis. They stop bad blood vessels from growing. And we said, you know, um, let's think a little bit about um, uh, what we're doing in nature. What do we do when you go to the farmer's market and you get a carrot? I mean, the carrot is just a little bit of a root, taproot. Most of it's this gigantic green mop. Sure. What do you do when you come home? You cut off the mop and you throw away the tops and you cook with the carrots, right? So we said, what happens if we test the carrot tops for anti-angiogenic or blood vessel boosting activity? And we found that the carrot tops the, the carrots were good. They actually had really good stuff in it and anti-androgenic um, substances. But the carrot tops had twice the amount. Wow. Double the amount. The part that's getting thrown away. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So, it, so, so it's quite amazing. Yeah, what, what is your sense on other things that people might be shocked by that would also help with angiogenesis? Are there a handful of other foods that are in your kitchen right now? Um, well, let's see. Um, I'll tell you a couple of surprises um, that are um, uh, anti-angiogenic. Um, most people don't think that chicken has anti-angiogenic activity. Uh, and um, um, the, uh, the uh, chicken has vitamin K. It's only found in chicken thighs, by the way. It's not found in the breast. Um, so the thighs and, where there's more uh, blood actually, flow, right? The thighs have the more blood flow amount. Is that why? That's part. That's partly where you get it from. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like the natural part. Sure. By the way, so so this is another reason why free range chicken is probably better as well. Because they're running around. <laughs> exactly. They have happy lives. And, yeah, and they're and they're and they're picking on the natural bugs that they're actually eating, and so um, so chicken thighs is a big surprise. A couple of other surprises are. Um, Pomegranates, for example, uh, we know that the, there's a uh, there's an extract in pomegranates that um, there's a the thing that gives pomegranates their natural dark color, deep, deep ruby color, is powerfully anti-angiogenic. It cuts off the blood supply. It's been studied in prostate cancer actually, um, and um, and actually it's really powerful because pro- pomegranates also help the microbiome. Uh, there's so many foods that are amazing. Yes. Most of them are plant-based, but not all of them. And some of the surprises come from the ones that are not plant-based, actually. Um, nuts are also a powerful anti-androgenic. We've even studied red wine. We took a look at uh, you know the, the different uh, potencies of androgenesis inhibition. By the way, it's not in the alcohol. It's really in the stuff from the red grape. Okay. Um, is that, is that fermentation process why it has so much health benefit? Yeah, because it's actually um, the alcohol is actually fermenting and it's extracting ah. from the grape skin the natural chemicals. Um, oh, here's a surprise for you. Um, we were looking. I told you about the carrots. Um, we were looking at broccoli. So you know, if you go buy a bag of frozen broccoli from someplace and you cut the bag open, like there are all these perfect little broccoli florets, the little treetops. Sure. Right. But if you go to the farmer's market, you realize that the treetops are only part of the broccoli. It's mostly this gigantic long stem. What do people do? Most people cut the stem off and throw it away. So we, we said, is there activity that can be androgenesis beneficial in the stem of the broccoli? So we tested the head, the treetops, we tested the stem, and we found the head was good, but the broccoli stem had twice as much Angiogenesis. Oh my gosh. We need to stop cutting the stems and tops off of everything almost. What about strawberries? I eat the tops of strawberries. I like them. 
Do those have those properties? Well, I'll tell you what's interesting about strawberries. I, I, um, I, we haven't tested the tops of strawberries. Okay. But what we did look at is our which variety of strawberries are better. And it turns out that there's one kind of strawberry uh, from New Zealand called Ruby Gem that has like three times as much of elagic acid. Now, elagic acid is actually what makes – it's angiogenesis inhibitor. It actually is what makes a strawberry tart. So you mm. want – like the perfect strawberry is sweet and tart. That perfect mix, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, that juicy. You know, the, the big thing that I get bummed out about is that, you know, like every strawberry could be perfect. And, and like, so I'm always looking for that perfect strawberry. Um, what we did find, by the way, uh, also that was interesting is that um, the elagic acid uh, found in strawberries is actually part of its defense system as well. And if you um, take a strawberry that's grown organically, meaning no pesticides, bugs will start to eat at the plant, right? That's kind of why pesticides are used to keep away pests. If the bugs eat at the plant, the leaves, the stems, maybe even the fruit, um, uh, the, the strawberry plant treats the insect bite like a wound. So to heal itself, the strawberry makes more elagic acid, more of the good stuff, uh-huh. That's a cancer fighter. Yeah. And so this is – we're beginning to realize now that, you know, maybe some of this stuff about organics was not just about <laughs> lack of pesticides. Sure. Maybe it's, maybe it's less bad stuff, but now maybe it's more good stuff as well. So this is, again, you know, like peeling layers of the onion back. You keep yeah. on going. You keep on driving at this. And things that kind of made sense before might even make more sense now. It makes perfect sense to us because we understand. We've had many guests that have come on the show. You know, Josh Dekel and Kiss the Ground, Regenerative Farming – Um, We're doing a featured series with uh, Dr. Zach Bush in the future now. So we understand that there is a cycle of nature and and your book so respects that cycle of nature. But I guess what's really fun from a scientific perspective, too, is that you have dedicated such a large part of your life to exploring the actual molecular biology of what goes on with our system and how it affects us. And there's no greater place, in my opinion, I'm curious how you feel about this, than the microbiome. You know, neurologic and mood disorders being cross-relation to the microbiome. Uh, you talk about in your book, actually, um, in this chapter, Feed Your Inner Ecosystem, Chapter 8. This was really cool. Um, a microbiome called Acromancia municifilia. I hope I said that right. Um, this is the powerhouse. This has a direct correlation to our mood. How do we feed the good bacteria? And, and how did you come across this one, this Acromancia? So the, the interesting thing about um, the microbiome is that when I was in medical school, we were taught that bacteria are bad and antibiotics are actually good. And now we realize that antibiotics also take out the good bacteria that are in our body. And we've got so many good bacteria, it's unbelievable. We've got like 39 trillion good bacteria in our body, almost more good bacteria than we have human cells. And so the interesting thing about them is we're beginning to um, uh, find out which bacteria are exceptional. Among the exceptional bacteria, there's one called Acromancia. Acromancia mucinophila. Now, I, I'm telling you about the mucinophilia part because that's really important. Acromancia likes to grow in mucus, mucinophila. And our, our guts naturally secrete healthy mucus, right? So, you know, you know we want to kind of keep our gut hydrated. And when, we're, when it's hydrated, it creates mucus. Healthy bacteria grow in there. And acromancia actually talks to your immune system, which is found right next door 
in the gut to the gut microbiome, and it actually helps the immune system. Kind of knocks on the door, of the immune system says, "Hey, fellas, let's go out there and and you know let let's let's go get them." And yeah. so yeah. The, the immune system goes out like a group of super soldiers to go hunt down bad guys that might be trying to invade the body. Some of those bad guys, by the way. Our viruses and bacteria. Some of them are also cancer cells. And we found out, and I kind of came onto this whole acromancia, the power of acromancia, because there's a big breakthrough in biotechnology for cancer treatment by giving immunotherapy. These are treatments that don't kill the cancer cells, but they help your body's immune system naturally kill the cancer. So it's just helping your body's own defenses kill cancer. And we found that it works even in older people like Jimmy Carter, the president of the former president of the United States, 90 years old. He had cancer that spread to his brain. He got an immunotherapy and it just and his own immune system wiped this baby out. Okay. And he, he's like alive doing all today. Wow. So so even even when you're older, your immune system is still so powerful. What we found is that not everybody responds to immune therapy. In fact, about 20% of people respond the way that we want them to respond. So that's pretty disappointing if you can imagine a doctor treating yeah. somebody with an amazing treatment that can you know, um, snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, and it only works in 20% of people. Why, why is that the case? Why is it only 20% of people? Yeah, so – with a colleague of mine, Dr. Laurence Zitvogel in Paris, it was discovered that the difference between people who, with cancer who are treated with immune therapy, the difference between those who actually responded to the immune therapy and lived versus people who didn't respond and died was just one bacteria. That bacteria is acromancia. If you had it, you would respond and you'd live. If you didn't have acromancia, you wouldn't respond and you wouldn't do as well. Yes. That's how powerful acromancia is. Grows in your mucus. You can't eat it as a probiotic. There is no acromancia probiotic. How do we okay. get more of it, doctor? How do we do it? You, you got to grow that mucus. Yeah. It loves the end. So the way to grow the mucus is by having cranberry juice, um, uh, pomegranate juice. Those the, the things that are the natural substances in those juices help the gut naturally produce the mucus so it's like it's like helping your body create the fertilizer yeah. that the seeds of acromancia like to grow in um, i had a patient who was a cancer patient who um uh, had multiple myeloma we were going to actually treat her with an immune th therapy um her doctor basically said, let's just get her started on it and i said wait a minute let's go check her acromancia so we did a stool test and she had zero Acromancia. Why? Because she had been on an antibiotic uh, for bronchitis, so yeah. not surprising. And so um, we got her on pomegranate juice and we gave it to her just, you know, all you need is about eight ounces a cup a day for about three weeks. Right? Does it matter so, if you do it on an empty stomach or not? does not matter. Okay. Full stomach, empty stomach, it all goes through. This is a liquid. It just runs, right. goes all the way down there. And um, she went from starting at the starting point of zero acromancia in three weeks later, she had uh, six times above the general population's level worth of acromancia. She was she had super acromancia. We got her on the immune treatment, and man, her body responded like gangbusters, and just like it was so fast in terms of how it cleared the cancer. So, again, that's applying yeah. the discovery that we had made in a practical way, right? So, I mean, how many people would realize that if you take a cancer? That could mean life or death, and you know something that could make it work 
much, much better is just found in a cup of pomegranate juice. Well, it's, it's so fascinating. And honestly, it, it's so relieving that we don't have to have um, the end of the road, in my opinion, which is um, pharmaceutical drugs. We can find all these things in nature. Like, you know, most of the things I've even read reports on this, they're from the pharmaceutical industry. They're created from plants that they find in the Amazon. A lot of the things that the pharmaceutical industry creates, they've actually already been grown in nature and they're synthesized from the same atom structure that is found in nature. Have you seen that to be true as well in your research? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, many of the most uh, famous uh, medicines, including cancer medicines, came from plants. I mean, uh, Taxol is a very famous old cancer treatment. It's now chemically synthesized, but it came from the bark of a yew tree, specifically a Pacific yew tree that was grown in the American Northwest. Um, aspirin comes from the bark of a tree. You know, um, So if you look back at history, the, uh, the legacy of nature um, has been with us you know, forever, more or less. Yeah. And um, oh, what about a heart medicine like uh, uh, digoxin or digitalis that comes from foxglove you know that came from actually drying a flower making it into a tea and helping people um, who have heart problems oh man I think about the way that our immune system like you said is the next door neighbor to the microbiome and I was thinking about that layer and then you said that we put the pomegranate juice in there and the cranberry juice which helps the mucus actually talk to our immune system everything is so interrelated by the way oh. we need we need to support our farmers on this I mean if we're trying to get in really processed homogenized juices and not these organic ones don't you think that's going to have less efficacy to creating the mucus and the acromancia well, that's actually something that we're working on right now. It's just to understand <clears throat> how the growing environment <clears throat> can actually make a big difference among uh, different types of plants. We know <clears throat> growing conditions are very important. If you actually, um, if you actually um, make it really difficult for a plant to grow, it's not going to extract everything it needs from the soil, yeah, or from the air, or from the water. I mean, you know, the the uh, nature comes from someplace and it usually comes from the stuff around it. So not surprisingly, how we treat our plants, it really winds up uh, reflecting how we treat our bodies when we actually eat yeah. them. Wow. How we treat our soil, you know, the humus that we've had. Um, I remember Josh Dekel talking about regenerative agriculture. He said mm. the humus is actually how the earth breathes. So the quality of our soil dictates the quality of our nutrients that are found in our organic produce. And then that goes into our microbiota. And then that's right. the level in the mirror of our health. So it's so powerful that you talk about in this book too, the, the mood to the microbiota equation as well. Um, mm. Depression, you know, even people with have severe anxiety, what is the clear connection that you've seen in the research, both you know anecdotally and also in, in cases? Um, what does that really mean for us, and how do we how do we have a better mood by having a healthier gut? Well, um, we know the gut's connected to the immune system because they're next door neighbors. So it's kind of like two college roommates. You knock on the wall next door, you can hear, and them. your roommate can hear it, and that's basically your immune system and your microbiome. Now, we also know, and this is a little bit more surprising, that the gut's connected to your brain. There's a gut-brain axis. And um, it's, still, it's still largely a mystery, but we're beginning to get at it. We know that the gut secretes some substances that circulate up to the brain. We also know that there are nerves um, uh, that actually um, uh, that are, are helping the gut to actually function that start in the brain. And it seems like the bacteria can send signals 
um, up there. Like it's kind of like a text message up through the nervous system from your gut all the way to your brain. A great example of that is a bacteria called lactobacillus. Lactobacillus is um, uh, a natural gut bacteria. Um, uh, after the 1930s and 40s, when antibiotics came out, it became much less common in 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 humans. Mm-hmm. But um, so 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 we kind of screwed up screwed up our own guts with antibiotics. But it's a really important one. You can still get it in yogurt. Um, turns out that um, uh, it's a, it's the original. Um, Bacteria used in sourdough bread to give that makes sourdough bread sour. You just made everybody happy so they can eat sourdough and increase the good bacteria. Lactobacillus, the lactic acid, is what makes sourdough bread sour. But not in the traditional breads, not in Wonder Bread. (laughs) Not even close. Not even close. Like, not in the. really make kind of the, the traditional, the real way of actually doing it with, is with sour, uh, with uh, lactobacillus, pumpernickel also made with the same starter. Um, uh, you know, so what was really interesting is um, lactobacillus, um, and when you've done, researchers have shown if you, if you feed lactobacillus to the gut, one particular kind, lactobacillus ruteri, it will actually send a signal to the brain and the brain really will release a hormone natural hormone called oxytocin. Now, oxytocin is what we call the social hormone. It's a hormone that makes you feel good when you see a friend. Um, you know, you, you, hug a, you hug somebody you love, um, uh, a social hormone. It's also the hormone that your brain produces from kissing, from orgasm, all kinds of like feel-good stuff. It's an anti-anxiety hormone as well. And this bacteria is one that we know actually helps your brain release that anti-anxiety social hormone. It's amazing. Wow. So I get to eat these foods before I go into large social groups or maybe have an intimate moment with my partner. I can actually eat those foods beforehand. And that would essentially create more of a bond, more of a human connection, which is what is so important. I mean, gosh, food has been bringing us together since the dawn of time, since we were human beings. This book is really a return back home, man. I mean, this book is bringing us back home to who we actually are. Like you said in the beginning of the podcast, actually. Well, one of the things that I, I'm really committed to doing is making sure people feel like healthy eating is number one, based on real science now, not yeah. just kind of hand wavy and wishful thinking, but there's real science behind it, number one. Number two, you don't have to spend all your time thinking about what to cut out of your diet. Let's go ahead and let's flip that equation and start to think about what to add to your diet. And I put more than 200 foods in my book that you know is a list that's so long, like everybody can find something yeah. that they love in it. And that what I my message is really, you know, to 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 live healthy and eat healthy, start with healthy food that you already love. If you start with the thing that you already love, you're already way ahead of the game. And that's where, you know, that's that's where I think everybody should begin. It's not about cutting out, it's about it's not only about cutting out, it's about what you add. Um, and by the way, the other thing that's really important is that really food itself is not a magic bullet. There are no magic bullets. It's really part of the equation. You got to do all the other things that are important. You got to, you know, stay physically active. It doesn't mean that you have to work out, you know, and be yeah. a Superman, but you do need to stay physically active. You need good sleep. You need to manage your stress. All these things work together again back in that ecosystem to make a happy ecosystem. But food is one thing that, you know, we, you know, we only sleep most of us only sleep once a day, but we're eating multiple times a day. And so this is why, you know, um, it's so important to be aware 
that yeah. the decisions we make today can have huge implications for who we are tomorrow. This book um, does have a spiritual component to it. I can, I can feel it and I can definitely sense it in you. Um, do you have a connection to a higher power as a scientist, as a medical doctor? What, what is that like for you? You know, I think that um, we all are uh, connected with one another and to a higher powers that actually make all life possible. Mm. And so I would say, you know, um, really good scientists are spiritual people because <laughs> once, once, you, right. once, you, once you actually appreciate just how complex it is, you realize that it's impossible that this was all by chance. Who's been a mentor of yours that's just inspired you or who are a few people that, that still to this day uh, light you up in your field? Well, my mentor, Judah Folkman, who passed away a few years ago, um, was really a powerful influence. He, you know, as I, I, I gave this analogy, he was sort of like Da Vinci um, uh, and, and, and training under his wing was learnt, like learning how to paint in Da Vinci's studio. It wasn't about the technical aspects of painting that was important. It was about learning how to think about painting. I, I learned how to think about research, you know, rather than asking, you know, um, uh, rather than following the trail of everybody else. Yeah. Um, I learned to look at the at the areas that nobody else is looking at. Um, I think that, that that's really um, remarkable. He, he was by far my most influential uh, mentor. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that um, there have been so many people yeah. that uh, – uh, in my life have been involved with my training, um, you know, helping me um, ground my humanity with medicine because medicine can be very technical. Yeah. You know, it's got a rocket science component to it. And you it know, can like, be very egoic at times as well. Someone's idea is challenged and they, and they get vehemently angry. You know what? We don't know. We don't know. No single person knows everything there is to know about about life, and yeah. nobody knows more about an individual than themselves. Sure. And so I think one of the things that we have to do um, as healers is really to be able to listen, re- to, to be a better listener than a speaker, and also to share. And, and sharing is a two-way street. So those are some of the things that I think have been really influential for me. If you could uh, look back at the timeline of your life and, and, and see how the dots have connected, it's always easier um, looking back. Was there a moment or a lesson that you could share with us that, that really touched your heart and made you know I'm on the right path? Hmm. Well, there's been a number of those moments uh, I've had that, that um, I think really did it for me. You know, I, I, I will share a, a, a story that uh, I was in a gap year after college. And I was really interested in studying the Mediterranean diet. Um, And this is before it became popularized. And so I traveled and I actually um, uh, uh, went to visit communities in Greece where – and they were monastic communities. So they were monks that were living there that lived really a medieval lifestyle. And there were were so many healthy, really aged – older monks. They were elders and they were all healthy, sharp-minded, contributing to the community. And they ate everything they grew or everything they grew, they ate. Um, They were active members of their community. They shared actively. And I think that was influential to me because it was before I went to medical school. And so without any technology, Hmm. I realized it was possible to achieve good health and to live a good overall life and, you know, sort of from a humanistic perspective. But I think that, you know, that, that experience 
taught me something, which is that I wasn't going to allow myself to be fooled um, or seduced just by the 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 headiness of all the tech and the drugs and biotech and all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, you know, we're all human and what we're able to do resides within ourselves. Just uh, solid wisdom and just so appreciative of this book, Eat to Beat Disease, the new science of how your body can and will heal itself. You can get this everywhere books are sold, but we're also, as I said, giving away two copies. So please go to the Instagram post that we have for today and just type in, I love this interview. I love this book. Type in something that you felt about the show. Dr. Lee, when we look at wellness, which is essentially this core principle of the nexus of physical, emotional, and spiritual intelligence, we all know intelligence is not just how smart you are. What does this mean to you to be well, to, to live a life well-lived? If you were to define wellness, which is a big question, how would you define a life well-lived? What is your definition of wellness? Wow, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I think that you know our physical wellness is the obvious, and that's really kind of what we started talking about. But I actually think that you, know, you have to be emotionally well. You have to fit uh, well within your social uh, system as well. You know, it's, it's, a, it's the ecosystem. How well do you play with your neighbors? How well do you play by yourself? You know, how well does your, does your fish live, you know, in this massive system? Yeah. And how peaceful do you feel? How safe do you feel? How um, ad- adapted and adjusted are you as you kind of migrate through your uh, – and migrate through life? And I think that if, you, if, if we all look at life as a journey – you know, and we change over the journey, which is really an important part, yeah. right? Because when we're younger, we have our outlook is one way. When we get older, it changes, matures. You add, keep on adding years and decades, and you know, we we um, we're still the same person, but we actually think differently. I think uh, another type of wellness is really to um, adapt our sense of self. You know, maybe the ultimate wellness um, has to rely on self knowledge. If we actually spend time thinking about what's important to us, who we are, what is our role in our community, and how do we interact with others, I think that's every bit as important as the physical being. Wow. Just um, a few times in our conversation, including right now, I've gotten that sensation of of joy, that sensation of happiness, uh, of real trust with you. So it's been a total pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, Where can people connect with you? Obviously, they can just search for you on Google or DuckDuckGo or Brave. But um, where can people go to connect with you to actually begin this journey? The book is the first step, but what's after that? Right. So, um, you know, I, I invite anybody to come join me uh, on the journey that I'm on that I would love to be able to take people on with me to share what I know uh, through my website, which is drwilliamlee.com, drwilliamlee.com. Um, and also, I'm on social. Uh, you can find me at Dr. Dr. William Lee Li um, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, look, uh, it, there's so much information out there. I find it hard to kind of sort through everything myself. One of the things yeah. that I try to do for you know my community and people that I uh, want to share, you know, who are I, I'm inviting everybody to share with me is I try to pick out the things that I think are important and try to curate them to to give them those bite-sized nuggets that you know, I find so useful for myself. Fantastic. Thank you again for coming on the show. And there is a lot of information out there. So I do my diligence to make sure that we can trust the experts that come on. And when I look at this field 
of really angiogenic foods and in eating and how that relates to disease and our mood. Um, you're at the very top. So it's been a true honor and pleasure to have you on the show. Dr. Will Lee, thank you again for your presence. A real pleasure. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Everything you learned on this podcast starts with your morning practices. So from over 300 world-class guests, we pulled together six simple yet powerful morning practices down into a 21-minute system, guaranteed to increase your vibration and the way that you feel every day. Get this free powerful guide over at wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. And if you love this show, share it with somebody. Share it with somebody that you love or that you care about. You can support the show easily by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash review. Or if you're on your phone, just tap it, hit the link in purple that says review this podcast. And the journey does not stop here. We're continuing this discovering process in our private Facebook group over at wellnessforce.com forward slash group. You can be a part of it. You already are. All you have to do is join us at wellnessforce.com forward slash group and I will welcome you at the door. Now go out into your life and live your life well. And until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.